This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have a very special, super interesting guest today who is into fire, but in a different way. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Kim. I am a firefighter. Cool. (laughs) And I have a little bit more detail here. So I met Kim at the Economy Conference while drinking beer. Surprise. I thought we had to have her on the show. And she's joining us in the studio today with an even more interesting story than expected. She hit Baristify, which we'll define later. But now she's unsure if she should retire or continue down that route. She likes her job again, which seems shocking to me. I never really liked my job so much. Our mutual friend Paula Pant interviewed Kim in 2018, and we'll link up to that interview But here's a short summary. Kim managed to save half of her income despite living in a pretty expensive city, Austin, Texas. And Kim's story is interesting because she didn't take a traditional route to financial success. She worked various odd jobs while traveling around the country in her early 20s. Then she went to college and graduated with less than 10K in debt. After college, she became a firefighter and has been able to save a significant amount of money, even though her salary is really not that high. And she has a few rental properties in the Austin area. Now, before we get into this, Kim, is there anything else you want to add? It's so funny how listening to you read that, read that out. It, the summary is really about like the numbers, but for me, the experience is so much more about the meaning of those experiences. And so to hear like a numeric value attached to these things, I'm like, haha. <laughs> But it's about the experience of living those. Yeah, for me. So what brings you to the area? Because you are in person, which is rare, considering you're from far away. Yeah, you can say the name of my city. It's all right. Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Far away land. Far, far away. I used to live in Boulder. I love Boulder. I still have quite a few friends here. I think that if I was going to leave Austin, Boulder would be pretty high on the list of places that I would move to. So I came here for a conference in Denver and to go snowboarding with friends and then just to hang out and visit people, you guys included. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to grab some lunch later and check out some stuff here in Longmont. Crazy thing, because you got to the Boulder area, if I remember the interview right, in like 2002? Yeah, 2003, I think. It was summer, early summer 2003. So I worked in Rocky Mountain National Park in 2002 and 2003 and loved it also. And I was like, oh, I should come back here sometime. And it was a dream. And I didn't realize that I actually could just move wherever I wanted to move until I was like 35. So we eventually moved away from the Atlanta area. That's inter- what was What was that awareness for you at age 35 of like, oh, I can actually do what I want? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I think, well, we were starting to accumulate a little bit more money. We knew we weren't going to have kids. And then we just thought we're only tied down here, like in our heads. Like we literally can move anywhere. And we had been working remotely for a few years. So at that, we were doing like slow travel. So we'd like rent a house, actually in Austin. So in 2014, we rented a house for like a month and just stayed there working remotely. So we're like, oh, we could just make this longer. And that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that wasn't touched on in the interview, but really is where my focus is on right now. So I want to work with people, helping them figure out what their purpose is here on planet earth. Like that's, that's what I'm really drawn to. And what I find is so many people are waiting for permission to do what it is that they want to do. And I I think that there is kind of this belief. I don't know if it comes just from childhood and having someone else approve or disapprove what you want. There's this belief of like, I can't do it yet, or I need this mark or I'm ready. And so it's really cool to hear your story. You're like, oh, well, we just realized we're not trapped in this cage. We can, we can go wherever we want. Where do we want to go? We want to go to Boulder. 
Yeah. Done. How's yeah. it been? It's been awesome. We actually went to Bozeman, Montana first and then came on down here. But yeah, it's been amazing. And now we know, oh, you can just make like decisions and you don't have to check with anyone. And like in the fire community now, it's like a lot more obvious for us. And I could, we could just do the whole thing where you interview me, but I have to make <laughs> sure that we don't do that. But I'll, I'll leave an open loop that we won't close today. But I was just telling Carl before you got here that I have no purpose and I'm more of a nihilist. And I think I'm okay with it overall. I operate okay, right? Yeah. And I think it's very int- it's wonderful when people have a purpose, but I don't know if I have one. Yeah. You, so the the punchline to jump to the the juicy thing that I realized for myself, and that I think that I'm helping other people realize, we have this belief, this conception that you find your purpose, right? That like it's destined for you, it's out there, and you just need to explore long enough, and then you'll stumble across it, and you'll be like, "Oh, this is my thing." But actually, it's about declaring a purpose. It's about saying what's important to me. And so, like with our conversation earlier about starting the podcast, you guys just declared this would be fun. We want to do it, and you commit your energy into it, and then it becomes a thing that you do, and it becomes a source of whatever you want it to be. It can go a lot of different places. And I think the people who are really stuck are those that are still in the land of, it's out there, I just, I can't find it. What is it? Waiting again for that permission, someone to say, here it is, this is it. But you just declare, I mean, right now in this moment, you're like, I'm a nihilist, I declare that for myself. Well, great, (laughs) that brings you joy. (laughs) It's a dark way to look at it, but I think, (laughs) yeah, I think that fits. Okay, so- Let's get back into it and make sure we stay focused. So can you define baristify as it applies to you? Because I I respect anyone that has a different definition, but how are you defining it? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty loose term. I don't think it's in Webster's yet. The way that I think of it for me, so I grew up in a very poor household, financial scarcity. My parents still are in a place of, they're better, but there's there's no inheritance that's coming, right? Like they're doing okay for themselves. They were really concerned for my well-being when I was old. And so therefore, I was really concerned for my well-being when I was old. And they saw me working this path of a lot of odd jobs and having fun and traveling, but not really settling down or committing. And they were like, girl, you got to be able to take care of you because old age is going to suck if you're trying to like work gig work at 70. This is not what you want. And so for me, baristify means that I know that I will be okay when I'm old. From this moment forward, If I just cover my cost of living and allow myself to do what feels good, even if that doesn't pay a lot, when I am older, I know that I will be okay. That's how I define Bruce Defy. And it feels really good. I love it. Perfect. And people should check out the interview with Paula. But a quick summary would be you have a pension available via your firefighting career Mm -hmm. and you're vested at 10 years. It's scaled and it's a progressive thing, but you have some money coming in that mm-hmm. way. You also have some rental properties that are income generating and you'll have equity in those in the future. So that kind of lays the foundation mm-hmm. for y- your feeling of security, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then a Roth, but it's not anywhere near, like if I was relying entirely on a Roth, it would not cover it at all. Got but, it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. To set the stage, your goals have shifted over the past few years. What was your goal when you found the FIRE movement initially? And I'm kind of curious, when did you discover FIRE? It's so interesting. I don't think of myself as ever having fully joined the movement. I was just kind of doing what I needed to do to find my own peace, right? Like for me, checking that box of being financially secure was the goal. And along the way, I learned about FIRE and I was like, oh, cool, we're doing the same thing. And I think that if I had jumped onto the movement, I would have made choices that were more directed and more intentional and probably would have gotten to that place of peace faster. And instead, I was just kind of making it up as I went. Yeah, I look at at ways of buying real estate and investing real estate that like buying a house with four bedrooms, that's the way. If you want to house hack and then move on to your next property, you don't settle for a three-bedroom, two-bath house. You wait and find a four-bedroom, even if it costs a little bit more or is a little awkward or in a part of town that you don't like. And I had no idea, right? So there's these, these little ways of making choices that the community has figured out and shares. And I think that that's a huge benefit of being here and in this network. To answer your question of 
how the goals have shifted. So for so long, it's been this drive of peace and mind around financial security. Like that was the name of the game. And then now that that box is checked off, it really opens up a lot of opportunity for the question that you guys asked. What would be fun? What would I enjoy? And I think the way that I viewed life for a long time is like it was a training ground. Like you're, I believe I have a soul. I believe in something after this life, whatever that may be. And I felt like in the moments that were really dark, this life is a training ground. My soul is here to learn some shit. And if I tap out of the game, I'm not going to learn what I need to know. And I'm just going to carry that with me. And I, I kind of felt like I was doing life as a warrior. And I, I feel like that has shifted to a place of peace where I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. It can be a training field and a battleground, but it's a playground. Like ultimately, we're here to enjoy our time, to have connection, to have fun. It's okay to do things simply because it's enjoyable. And that just wasn't something that I really offered myself before is it had to have purpose and meaning and get to some higher ideal. And you're allowed to just enjoy your life. That's okay too. Yeah. You said the term financial peace a couple of times. What does financial peace mean to you? It, it means knowing that I'll be okay having that security that there is enough waiting for me that if something bad was to happen now or later in life that I will be okay and I I think that people who come from a family that's more financially stable to begin with they know that for themselves growing up right that's not a question because you have parents that are able to swoop in and provide for you but when you don't come from that when you when you don't have a financial safety net, especially at a young age, there's a sense of, of like the world is scary. And so being in a place where that world is less scary, and I know that something something significant could happen and I'll be able to rebound. Like there's a resilience and there's also a peace and a comfort in that that I just didn't know before. So I'm kind of curious, my background is maybe a little bit similar to yours in that I didn't come from a lot of wealth either. And I knew I had to make it on my own. Like I had to get loans for all my school and all that. But what it kind of did for me is my thought was I'm already at the very bottom. Like it can't get any worse than this. Therefore, I can take risk because it can't get any worse than this. I already have tons of debt. What, <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> I think that's awesome. That's great. Okay. Did you have that same mindset? Like it can only get go get better from here? Or? No. I would say that I was handed a lot of fear around finances. And so it sounds like you came to a really healthy relationship with it on your own terms of like, oh, but like fear and scarcity was a huge part of the dialogue of my household. And I, I think that there were there were a lot of ways in which we were limited in other arenas, but it was always blamed on money. And so there was this belief that like, money essentially is the root of all of our unhappiness. And I I don't buy that. I don't believe that story now, but that is what I believed before. And so it was like always running from this dark thing that was going to catch me. Like, you know, the poverty monster, I guess. I don't know. This is, you guys, this is deep stuff here. We're really hashing out some childhood yeah. shit. It's supposed to be fun, <laughs> Carl. These questions were not in the outline. <laughs> this, this is actually a secret therapy session. We don't want to tell you, but I don't know who. It's for maybe me, maybe you, maybe Doug. Carl, can you talk a little about whether or not you had that same sort of scarcity mindset, like when you were a kid and then when you got older and then if it shifted? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've just gotten over it in the past couple of years, despite us having um, a multi-million dollar net worth. It's difficult. Your father loses their job and all of a sudden everything changes and you have to buckle down and... Uh, I didn't have, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't bad, but <laughs> I, the interesting thing about my childhood was I lived in an area where there was a, a super rich half of town and a super poor part of town. It, I, poor is probably the wrong word. It wasn't poor, but there was a lot of poverty around us and a lot of crime. Which, which half were you in? I was in the, the not so good part. Uh, so it was interesting. A lot of my friends were in the good part and they had these fancy houses in there. One of my friends, his partner was like a partner, or his dad was a partner at Ernst & Younger, one of those big accounting firms. And uh, my dad was a construction worker and my mom drove a bus, so vastly different experiences. Yeah. So it was interesting, even though we were in that spot, you could see other people who weren't. But funny enough, I think I turned out 
better than most, not better is the wrong word, but probably financially more secure than them. Just because what I told you before, I thought I could take big risks in life because I'm already at zero. I can't get any lower. Yeah. One of my, one of my close friends, it's interesting to hear his story. So he grew up, it was just him and his mom for a while. And then she married someone who was good with his hands and, you know, doing blue collar work. He has none of the financial fear and scarcity that I have. So probably an equally financially challenged childhood. He's just like, I know that I can do something and make money. Like we were okay. And when I hear his stories of childhood, I think that there was a lot of love present. And so for him, like the money, love, duality, it, it just wasn't a scary thing. Like his mom provided a very nurturing, loving household regardless of the money. And then he saw his stepdad being able to make money when he needed it by picking up a gig. And so there's a sense of like, "Eh, if I need it, I'll make more. If I don't have money, it's okay. It like doesn't reflect dark and scary times. Whereas I think for us, it it was just a really difficult time. And so I associate not having money with, you know, like really life being miserable. And it doesn't have to be. There's a lot of ways to live well with very little. So one other thing I'll throw at you is people ask me all the time, how do you instill financial values in your kids? And I thought a lot about that. Initially, I would say, oh, you should focus on maybe making them do chores or give them an allowance or or something like that. But I've since backed off on that. I think the most important thing you can do for your kids is give them, give them a loving like household, like instill good values in them. And then the money part will follow. Set an example money-wise, but don't that shouldn't be your focus. Like give them love and care about them and actually listen to them when they talk and don't give them phones and just (laughs) spend time with them and set a good example and the money will follow. That sounds like great parenting advice just all around. Did it work? (laughs) With with mine, I'm not so sure yet. Check back in like 10 years and uh, we'll we'll do a follow-up. Okay. So one thing I want to drill into specifically is I think at one point, perhaps in the interview on Afford Anything, and then maybe the couple years after that, I, f- I got the feeling that you were on this sort of financial independence path and maybe to step back from firefighting and do some other stuff instead. So number one, is that a correct assumption? And then where are you now? Because that interview yeah. was several years ago. Yeah. So firefighting was the thing that I picked to to do to figure out how to change my financial reality. And it was really hard in the beginning. We talked earlier. So, I mean, I don't know if you can tell I'm small. I'm a small person. Firefighters are big people. (laughs) It was stepping into a career that maybe wasn't a natural fit, but I I was pretty committed and I was going to make it work. We talked about the hiring process. The hiring process was hard. Like there were over 5,000 people applying for 100 positions. And it was, it takes a year to go through. There's many different components. And I remember one of the first things you do is just take a written test. It's like a standardized Scantron fill in the bubble test. And you're in a room with all of the other applicants. So we're in this huge auditorium. There's over 5,000 people. And I just looked around and I was like, you guys don't know this? Like, and all the guys, I mean, it's so funny being a firefighter because everyone's tall. The conversation's happening up here and I'm down here, right? So like everybody's talking. I'm like, hey guys. Hey, uh-huh. and I, I just get used to being like literally on a different level, but I'm looking around this room and all the guys are like clustering up and talking and nobody's talking to me. And I was like, that's okay. That's fine. You guys are all going home after this. I'm getting the job. Like that was my self-talk was like, I'm gonna do this thing. And I got in, but kind of like we talked about, I had this like warrior mindset, like I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And it, it didn't really earn me a lot of friends. it's not a great attitude to come into a new venture and i think it's the attitude that i needed to have to get in but then i should have shifted into a softer mode and so it was it was really a struggle in the beginning so the self-talk that i had was like i'm just gonna do this for as long as i need and then i'm gonna bounce and i'm gonna do something else and uh i can't believe i made it to the vested point i really at a lot of points thought that i was gonna quit I got really creative with ways to take time away from the fire department. I did some mini sabbaticals, actually working right now. Hopefully it goes through on an option to give many firefighters a sabbatical option, like within Austin Fire Department. It's all specific for departments. So this everything I say only applies to Austin. 
But when we hire on, there's no way to take an extended break. And the expectation is you're going to be there for a minimum of 20 years. 20 years without ever getting more than two weeks or a month off just seems ridiculous to me. You got to step away. It's a high stress environment. Like you, your adrenaline and your cortisol and lack of sleep and just it's so high wired. I'm like, people, we need to be able to get away. And I think a lot of people want it, but they're like, well, I guess I just signed up for this. And I was like, mm-mm. I'm going to make it to the 10-year mark or longer, like, I got to find a way to take a break. And so that's something that I'm hoping to share. But yeah, so I took my little breaks along the way. I had had my little mantra of like, I'm going to quit as soon as I can. And I made it to the 10-year mark. And it like, it's almost magic. Upon hitting the 10-year mark, my life at the fire department got so good. (laughs) I love going to work. I really love my my coworkers. We have a lot of fun. It's it's shenanigans. It's shenanigans, the whole shift. And I'm like, wait, why would I leave this? Like, what am I looking for somewhere else that I don't have here? And it's just such an interesting flip because I, I still kind of have this vision of, you know, going and living on the beach and doing my own thing and surfing and whatever. We all have these fantasies, but I'm like, but my life here is really good. And so now I'm I'm entertaining the idea really for the first time of starting my own thing while staying here in place and really fully committing to Austin and making this my home. Whereas the whole time I felt like I'm just a traveler on a layover here, right? And as soon as as soon as the weather changes, I'm out, I'm peacing, but I just keep coming back. And I think that they're really I think there's a lot for me in this place that I just wasn't able to open my eyes to and be aware of while I was in like that mental state of fighting it. What changed to make you like your job? It sounds like for a period of time, you didn't like it so much, but then at the 10 year mark- For like 10 years, for like 10 (laughs) years. Anyone who knows me will be like, oh yeah, she's, she's been crafting this plan for like eight years now. I think she's leaving soon. I really wonder about that myself. I, I think that they're- I think it is a huge testament to the fact that what we believe shapes our reality. Like what you tell yourself in your head shapes your day-to-day experience. And up until the 10-year mark, what I told myself was I don't want to be here. It's only a couple more days. I had a mental paper chain and every day I'm taking one loop off of it. And and I hit the 10-year mark and I gave myself permission to think something different. And the thing that I thought was, oh, huh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, I, it is just fascinating. I did change the station that I work at right around the 10-year mark, actually right at the 10-year mark. So interesting. So, so 10 years ago in August, I went to a fire station for the first time. So we do six months of training on site. Very, very intense. The guys in my class who had been in the military said that our training was significantly harder than boot camp. And so you do this fairly brutal six-month training, and then you're just sent out to a fire station. And I I really, I had such a chip on my shoulder and such a negative story about what I was doing and why I was there. People could pick up on it. They could sense it. I wasn't well-received. So then I got this really cool opportunity 10 years later to experience going back to a fire station for the first time. And I did it differently. And the story in my head was, I choose to be here and I choose to love the people that I'm with, like in a in a real, like deep sense of gratitude and love. And that's shaped my experience. And it's really been so wonderful. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next question? So you're at the halfway mark, you're 10 years into it, and you'd have to stay for another 10 years to get your full pension and then you can retire, right? It just gets sweeter and sweeter. So if I was to stay another five years would be considered early retirement. So at this point, I'm just vested. And it, between now and five years from now, it, like the amount that I get paid out would be the same, but it's a fixed amount for the rest of my life. It won't, it won't get cost of living increases. Like it's this is the number forever and ever. But if I was to stay five more years and make it to 15 years in, then I'd start getting paid immediately. I wouldn't have to wait till I'm 50 years old to start drawing retirement. Yeah, it it would be subject to cost of living increases. It's just a better deal. And then if you stay till 20, there's even more benefits and you get really low cost health care for the rest of your life. Like it just, the longer you stay, the better it is. But I can't, I can no longer adopt a story of I'm here 
for the finances, right? Like I needed that in the beginning. I wouldn't have stuck with it if it wasn't for like, there's this financial payoff that I truly believe that I need for myself. But now that I've hit the benchmark that I set, like I'm here because I like it. The guys that I work with know, like they're like, you think about taking it out? I'm like, yeah, that was my plan. I'm only here because I like you. (laughs) (laughs) So something that I would love to talk about if you guys are interested, the, the story for me, for the 10 years is that I was going to quit and I was going to start a brand of my own. And I wanted to work with people around inspiration and motivation and really in a big way, help people figure out what they wanted to do. And there was, there was a bit of imposter syndrome. Cause I was like, wait a second, like I want to motivate people and inspire people, but I haven't figured out what I want to do. So how, how can I be successful in this world? And yeah, I, I have decided that this is absolutely what I want to do. And I've also decided that I don't have to leave firefighting in order to do it. And it feels so right and so at peace. And so that's the thing that I'm working on in the side right now. And that's what you and I started talking about, like starting this brand. Because I was asking you about the experience of podcasting and what is it like. And that potentially might be an element of what I do. Don't know. But that's kind of where all my mental energy is right now, is what does that look like? Got it. And I'll I'll jump back now that I yeah. have absorbed all the insights that you gave us before. <laughs> so, and I was trying to put it together, but it's interesting. Once you didn't have to have the job, then the pressure was off. And I'm curious, Carl, have you seen this in other people or yourself where as soon as you didn't have to do something, you're a lot more accepting of it? Yeah, absolutely. If you're forced to do something, there's always going to be some tension there. But once that tension is removed and you're not forced to do it, sometimes it becomes more tolerable. It's like, uh, and I wish we could get around that. It seems like a a stupid thing. We should have enjoyed it the whole time and taken the money part out of the equation, perhaps. Or if it bothered us that much, found something else to do. And you mentioned maybe having a chip on your shoulder when you showed up at the station for the first time. Do you know what the the root of that was or the driver? Yeah, I think it was the mindset that got me in was essentially I'm battling you all for this job that's really important to me. And by all means and measures, I don't belong here, but I'm going to prove you like I'm going to prove it that I do belong. And it just it was I mean the amount of weight that I was lifting and moving just took a like ferocity within me to be able to do these things that I really had no business doing. And so that ferocity got me the job. But then once I was in, it it didn't, it wasn't, it was not the way that I should have been interacting, you know, but it was just, I was so entrenched. It was, it was like, it was a lot of time went into making myself the into the person who could get this position that was so off limits and so hard to attain. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. But then I like didn't know how to slip into a lower gear. You are a total badass. Funny enough, I swear this is true. I was listening to your interview with Paul and everyone should listen to that before this because you lived a very eclectic life before (laughs) being a firefighter. But one of the things I think you said is you had to do one of those stair machines with like 70 pounds on your back. Yeah. And I was actually doing the stair machine with zero on my back while while I was listening to you <laughs> talking about doing it at 70. I'm like, holy shit. And you can't touch the rails. If you touch the rails, you're out. Wow. So it's just, I mean, it's, you got to engage your core. It's a 50 pound weight vest that's strapped on you. And then an additional 10 pounds on each shoulder. And it just, it simulates what we do in a high rise fire. And it's three minutes Also, it's one step a second. So I think it's level six. And so it's not like you can just run up and be done and over. Like you have to go at the pace that they've set with like no stabilization. And then after that, you do the obstacle course. Like, so that just taps all your energy. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds horrible. Wow. Well, in a second, we're going to talk about how your definition of success has evolved. As things have gone on. But first, we're going to hear from our sponsor. We have GhostBed again. It's a good partner. And we have a bedtime story for you, sort of. That's right, Doug. We're about to embark on a dreamy journey into the world of GhostBed. Wait, do I have to embark on this journey with you, Doug? Or I think that's the only way. Ugh. So GhostBed's Lux Mattress, it 
isn't just a mattress. It's like sleeping on a cloud made of marshmallows. Some might even call it the stay puffed bed, like from Ghostbusters. No one actually calls it that. I just made it up. (laughs) I like marshmallows. I wonder if it's actually edible. We won't go there. It's not. It is not Okay. (laughs) Well, if you think that's comfortable, check out their adjustable base. It's like the bed of the future, but available right now. Independent head and foot adjustability for ultimate relaxation. But wait, there's more. (laughs) One-touch buttons for your wildest dreams. Whether you want to float like a hot air balloon, binge watch your favorite TV shows, or just find that perfect angle for reading, Ghost Bed has you covered. And don't forget about the soothing whisper quiet two-zone massage. Ooh, that's the vibrating feature that we've talked about in the past. It's so tranquil, you'll think you're in a spa retreat. A spa, okay. You'll be very surprised when you feel where the massagers are. Can you elaborate on that, Doug? I'm not. uh, I think it's just normally where you would find them. Okay. Yeah. Plus, nothing weird. There's nothing weird going on. Okay. I'm not sure what answer I was looking for. (laughs) Plus, there are convenient USB ports on both sides because, let's be honest, who doesn't need to charge their gadgets? Ghost bed is more than just a bed. It's a sleep revolution, a family-owned business with 20-plus years of experience, and they've collected over 60,000 five-star reviews. Their mattresses are designed for ultimate comfort and support. Made in the U.S. of A's with premium materials, they're the real deal. Plus, you get 101 nights at-home sleep trial, so you can have your own experiment. And if that's not enough, they have a 20-plus year warranty. I think it varies on product, so check the fine print yeah and here's the super cool part if you go to ghostbed.com slash mile high fi again that's ghostbed.com slash mile high fi or and or use the coupon called mile high fi at checkout you'll get an unbelievable 50 percent off site-wide so that's on anything doug right you could and they have pillows uh, i think they have bedding sheets okay yeah vibrating mattresses so kim Bring it back. Yeah. You know, we're actually going to talk about sleep here. So as a firefighter, it can be crazy. I know my dad was a firefighter and he, you know, potentially if there's a fire, you're up all night. You maybe only get two hours of sleep and it's really rough. So how has that been? If you could just describe your experience sleeping as a firefighter. It's awful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I think one of the biggest personal changes was just getting really good at being awake. You know, the harder than going to sleep for two hours is going to sleep and just starting to get into a sleep cycle and then getting woken up again. And then you run another call and then you come back and you start to go to sleep and you just get into a sleep cycle and you get woken up again. That's like, is brutal. Did you ever get called for something stupid like the cat in the tree, the yes. proverbial cat in the tree? You're like, Multiple God damn it, months. I was I've, asleep. Mostly that, right? I've, I've been on several cat calls. <laughs> so that's a real thing. <laughs> And a bird in a tree. <laughs> wait, wait. Birds are supposed to be in trees. <laughs> Not when they're a pet bird. Oh, so yeah. This, yeah. It was sad, actually. It was really sad. Oh. Do you actually have to, like, <laughs> grab the cat and extract it from the tree? Like, do you ever get <laughs> yeah. bit? You put on your turnout coat. Like, you're, oh. So a turnout coat is basically like a giant oven mitt that just fits around your body. So, yeah, you put on your turnout coat and you go get the cat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The cat does not know it's being saved. The cat is unappreciative of your efforts to Man. save it from the place. Man, cats. When you sleep at home, what kind of mattress do you use? Do you know? Yeah. What did I? I got one of the bed in a box mattresses. It's really okay. comfortable. You yeah. like it? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you should check out the uh, <laughs> the ghost beds. They have uh, like cool technology, so it helps. Basically, if you're a hot sleeper, it'll cool you down. So have you experimented with anything like that or a chili pad or anything? No. Are you a hot sleeper? No, I'm not. No, you're cooler. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a cold person in general. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you still check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So getting, getting back to it. Yeah, we have a coupon code, so we'll make sure you get that. And thanks to GhostBed. We appreciate it. Thank you. How has your definition of success evolved as you have achieved some of the goals you were looking at obviously being able to sleep well every night (laughs) this should be like most of our goal like every day i feel so much better when i sleep well yeah it's life-changing it's huge there's a book called why we sleep i highly recommend it highly and it says at the end you should buy a ghost bed (laughs) (laughs) all right that's great 
Okay. okay. So, so really, the, the oh question my gosh, your goals. this is so yeah. big. I wish I would have been given a head up. What is my definition of success? I, I mean, I think it comes back to what we were talking about in the beginning is, is you've got to define that for yourself. And so then you're asking me, how do I define it? <laughs> I think that for me, success really is about quality of life, which is part of why hearing you read the numbers off in the beginning was so funny to me. Cause I was like, but that's not like, these aren't the metrics. That, these are the metrics, the metrices that I needed to achieve so that I could experience what I want, but it's the experiencing life in the way that I want. That is the success, not the numbers. The numbers just facilitate and so, yeah, what success is to me is having a close community of friends, being able to know that I'm loved and cared for and to have people that I love and care for in return, to have the freedom in my life to go take adventures. Like people say travel. I don't necessarily love travel, but I love adventures and adventures can happen where you are or somewhere else. Having, having the ability to live a quality of life that is loving and joyful and connected. That's what success is for me. Damn, I love your focus on metrics. And I think this is one of the things that the FI community gets wrong. We're so focused on money that we forget the whole purpose of money. And that's to be happy and have a good life and do things that we want to do. But so much of us, and I'm the poster child for this, just focused on this number because when I get to this, life is going to be awesome. Like, no, stupid. You have to make your life awesome. The money has nothing to do with it. It's going to help you out a little bit, but you got to figure the rest out for yourself. And so, yeah. Was there was there a pain point for you after achieving your number where you were like, wait, what? Like, what happened after you hit your goal? Well, it's so funny you mentioned that because I hit my goal and I thought, oh, as soon as I hit my goal, I'll quit my job and life will be great and I'll be so much happier. And then I did all of those things and I'm like, well, I pretty much feel the exact same way I did like a week ago when I still had my job and like, what is going on here? And then I... Learn that we have to make our own happiness and figure it out for ourselves. Money can help with that, but it's not the most important thing. I feel the same, and there's no structure in my life. And I don't have a thing that I have to wake up to go do in the morning. And I don't have coworkers, even though sometimes they drive me crazy. It's still nice to leave the house and see people, you know, have a talk over a cup of coffee or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah I, I really think, I think that you hit on something super important, which is we so Joe Dominguez talks about this. I don't know if anyone's done his course. I actually, I have it right here. Transforming your relationship with money. He nails a thing. He, we have this model where we believe that we buy a thing. That's step one. And then the owning the thing will teach us to start to do what we have to do. And then we become the thing. So I want to be a ballerina. I start by buying the tutu and the, the special shoes. And then because I own these things, I'm going to be inspired to do the things that ballerinas need to do and practice, and then I'll be a ballerina. But really, it starts on the inside first. If I want to be a ballerina, I think about being a ballerina. I think about being graceful. I walk on my tiptoes through the kitchen when I go grab a snack, right? Like, I start to embody what it feels like to be a ballerina. And from that place, I will take the actions that I need to take. And then you are the thing. And you buy the stuff along the way that you need. But I think so often we think I buy these running shoes, so now I'm a runner. But then I actually hate running. I never use them. I buy the Peloton so I can be fit and in shape, but it just sits in the corner of my room and I never want to use it because it actually makes me feel really guilty about the fact that I'm not a cyclist and I'm out of shape, right? Like it starts on the inside first and then the money facilitates what you want and where you're going, but you create the experience within you and then it manifests around you. And I think, yeah, it, it's easy to say, but I think culturally we really... We get it backwards a lot, and then we arrive at the goal that we set, and we're like, but wait, I feel the same. My inner experience is still the same, and also I don't have the thing that I had before. Shit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Carl goofed up, because he has a closet full of tutus (laughs) and (laughs) shoes. Um, So you just, you got to embody it. You have to be the person that you want to be. I think Kim's right. I never wanted it on the inside, so I'll just have to... (laughs) It's so that shit to play it against sports. <laughs> I, I think your ballerina days are still ahead. I see this for you. Yeah, I think I think you can do it. I believe in you. So, and again, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> just, I was like, I got I got to get that one out. That's just too too good. Am I am I taking us deeper than we normally go? Are we deep diving on this show? Is it my fault? No, it's not your fault. Not your fault at all. Okay. So what was what was the original? Oh, yeah. So 
the thing is, yeah, when you hit the number, right, or you hit your goal, and then you don't have that thing to blame anymore, then you're left in a spot where you're like, now I ran out of excuses. And Carl, did you did you have any dark moments because of that? You were like, ah, oh, now, well, it's not the money, it's me. <sighs> dark moment. I'm not sure if I had a dark moment, but I definitely did the wrong thing. I thought I would... I, I was so worried that I didn't know what I wanted to do and that I didn't know where happiness came from that I just created more work for myself, like buying more houses to fix up. I've, mm. I've done flips on houses. So we did more of that. So I think I was a little bit lost. What I probably should have done different is just not done anything at all. So my default was because I don't know what's going on here was to pile a bunch of stuff on. And instead I should have done nothing and had some deep thoughts about it for a, a while done some introspection what do you think would have come from that i think it would have came maybe to where i'm at now like i just like to exercise and take walks and read books and and be happy but i probably would have arrived there sooner than i did six years earlier than the six years it's taken me because it's a fairly recent development do you do you think that you're able to tap an experience now whether that's peace or happiness or whatever that wasn't accessible to you before. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot, actually. I th Probably, maybe I did need to go through this period to really appreciate what I have and to really appreciate what I like. Maybe if I would have had the life I do right now, but it was six years earlier, maybe I would have thought I didn't deserve it or I would have had regrets. Maybe I didn't think I earned it. Now that I feel like I've done everything, how do I put this? I don't know. Maybe I had to go through that storm to get to the clear place and be in a better place so i don't know it's hard to a b test your life yeah you know? can you can you imagine like the peace and the happiness that you have now would is there a world in which that would have been accessible to you while you still had your job yes i should have done a lot of things different like go part-time and realize that money isn't the core goal by the way kim you're going to be so good at what you do inspiring <laughs> motivating and finding purpose you are thanks yeah Please do that. We'll help you out with it. Awesome. Thank but yeah, you. I think I could have had it. I just would have had to um, had a better relationship with money. I think it's the whole scarcity mindset. I think at the end that did me in and being so worried about money and losing my job and all these stupid things. And by the way, none of those things ever happened. I never lost mm -hmm. a job in my life or after college, like we weren't rich or fi yet, but it was still good. Like we never, I never struggled. So let's jump into some of the, the questions here. How do you think your decision to keep working challenges or expands the traditional FIRE or FI ideology? Oh, yeah. I mean, so we were talking about this upstairs. If, if FIRE was my solo and most important goal, I would just stick with firefighting for a full career. Like the pension that Austin provides is really great, but it, it starts, you know, with not being amazing and the more time you spend the better it is but if i was to just move up in rank and stay for a full 30 years like oh yeah you it's you're set you're fine you don't have to worry about it and that's that's not what i want like to the extent that my that my role in the fire department provides connection and meaning and purpose then i want to be there but i don't i like there's just there's more stuff i want to do with my life you know so 30 years of committing to this full time like I want to know other things. And you mentioned earlier that you don't even really consider yourself like part of the fire movement. Can you expand on that? Like why, why not? Or, and why would someone maybe argue that you are part of the fire I mean, movement? I'd, I would, I would be happy to be lumped in with the fire movement. But when I, when I meet people who really consider them fire, they're diving in, in a way that I just haven't done yet. So like I would say that I skirt the edges, but I just kind of picked my path and I do my path. And I think that people who are really fire are like driven by the numbers and they, they meticulously track and they're investing in a way that I'm not investing. And they're just going about things, probably a much more money focused, deliberate way. And, and for me, like we talked about earlier, the money is the thing that I realize that I have to manage well in order to get to where I want to go, but the money is not what drives me. It's, yeah. And I think, I mean, most people probably just want to get to a point where they don't have to think about money, or at least that's what I, what I want. And I don't, some people really enjoy like seeing 
the balance go up the and yeah and i don't care that much as long as i don't have to worry about it and i think that's what I does mean, that mean for you when you say don't have to worry about it can you define honestly i don't worry about it that much anyway but my wife does a lot more so she has a lot more of a like scarcity mindset just in general for, for no particular reason that i could tell they grew up like fairly like middle higher than middle class i would say and for me i didn't worry about it too much anyway and i'm pretty optimistic and i think hey if i need to earn some more money i can earn some more money so i think it at this point it just means to have enough where the plan is good enough that we don't have to rely on projections that mm -hmm. might be a little too optimistic mm -hmm. so basically it's padding what a lot of people would normally consider like phi if that makes sense mm -hmm. so for me i wouldn't worry about it that much anyway i asked her the other day i was like oh, if you didn't have to keep working would you keep working she was like i think so and i was like that's fucking bullshit but yeah. we may edit that part out anyway but but yeah she she <laughs> continues to work but at some point there is an opportunity even if you enjoy your job there's an opportunity cost of like, could you be doing something better than the repetitive yeah. shit that you've been doing for five or eight or 10 years? And like, depending on what it is and how rewarding it is to you, it might be better to spend your time elsewhere. Totally. Yeah. And that's such a like, it's such a hard thing to determine in the moment because you don't know, like, how do you measure the amount of enjoyment or whatever other good emo emotion you'll get from this choice versus that choice? Like, it's hard to dictate before you make the decision, then after you make the decision, it's made. One of the things that I'm I'm really hearing in our conversation that that I think is very true and very helpful is rather than going from this thing over here to this other extreme thing over here where you can't really know, making the small course corrections along the way. Like you were talking about, why why didn't I go part time? Why don't I give myself this flexibility to experiment with what does that feel like? And I think that's maybe a little bit with what I'm doing in this moment, like I've had this idea that it's either firefighting or this completely different job and, you know, working remotely from Costa Rica or whatever. But really, I can have this and also start my next thing and do these small course corrections that just like in small ways allow me to keep shifting what is my focus, what is my life, what are my goals, how do I increase the level of happiness, how do I introduce something new and find purpose in a new way. And then maybe I realize I want to go back to this other thing, or maybe I shift more to the right. Like, But little shifts as you need them and as you feel them, wait, rather than waiting for something in the future, making it really dramatic. Are you 24 hours on, 48 off? Mm -hmm. Is it? Okay. Yeah, and our shift changes at noon, so it's kind of a BS schedule. Huh. <laughs> mm. So would you say you, you have more time than the average 40-hour-a-week person to pursue something else? I would say that I have more time at unusual points in the day. And so, like, I mean, you want to catch me at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday? Chances are good I'll be there. Uh -huh. But it, it just it's just a different – so technically it's a 53-hour work week. When you actually calculate it out, it's a little bit more than a 53-hour work week. So it's more hours, but we're there overnight. So, you know, like sleeping is part of it, except like we talked about – no guarantee that you're going to sleep and it just it's it's just different it's unusual it requires managing time in a really different way huh <laughs> no, i'm just curious i have so many questions about firefighters but we can talk about firefighters show. If that's I, what you want to do as a kid i was terrified of firefighters because i thought firefighters came to your house and set Started. your house on fire instead of like putting out the fire it's because of the friend you told us about yeah yeah well this is even before that i would cry <laughs> when i saw a fire truck like ah Oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. I know, right? So I think we got to start wrapping up. So we have some additional questions. Wait, wait, wait. We're not going to talk about future? Future purpose? We can. That's we that's can. what I'm most excited about. Okay. That's, the, that's what I thought we were doing with this interview. Okay, cool. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> Thank you. All I right. Appreciate that. Do you have any long-term career goals or ambitions that you're now pursuing with this yes. newfound oh, freedom? Yes. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I appreciate that <laughs> a lot. I've known for a long time that I want to work with people in in the space of emotions and like really working through a lot of the difficult things. It sounds like you guys have have figured your stuff out and manage your emotions, but a lot of people that I connect with and I'm close with, they really struggle 
with things like what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do in life? Like what is my calling? Why is life so hard? Why can't I figure out how to make money? And I know that the last one isn't your audience, but Carl, kind of like you experienced, I think a lot of people get to and they're like, but what am I doing now? Like, what's the point? Like I had from the time that I can remember, I've had this roadmap laid out for me of I'm going to go to school and I'm going to accomplish these things and I'm going to get good grades. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a job. And then you reach your phone number and you're like, well, what next? What's the script? And there's no one here to tell me. And so I really want to work with people around this question of what am I doing with my life? What's meaningful? What is my purpose? And so right at the 10 year mark, it's so funny. I give, I wouldn't give myself permission to do the things I wanted to do before the 10 year mark. I, I wish that I would have given myself more permission to explore sooner, but I started a life coaching course. You guys, life coaching is awesome. I did not really understand what life coaching meant. I think most people have no idea what life coaching means. Yeah, actually, go on. Because most, <laughs> I think our impression is probably the bullshit on like social media, right? So it's like people that don't know what the fuck they're yeah, talking they're about like anyway. Blasting. And they're, um, they signed up for some course about how they can run ads. And it's like clearly bullshit. And I wouldn't take advice from them. So yeah, how, how can you dispel those? Myths? Yeah. So first of all, a life coach should not be giving you advice. You do not go to a life coach for advice, which is like my big misconception. I thought a life coach was somebody who was like really good at solving problems. And you went to them and they helped you figure out what you want to do and the strategies that you were going to use to get there. What a life coach does is they sit with you with whatever it is that you're going through and they make space for it to be okay for you to be you. And you talk about what you want and the life coach helps you open up possibilities for your life. Like ultimately that's what a life coach does is help you dream in a way that creates possibilities and then helps you see what it is that's standing in the way from making that true for yourself. So like we've talked about, a lot of times we're waiting for someone else to give us permission or we have a story or belief that conflicts with what we want. So I say that I want this thing, but then I keep not taking action towards the thing. Well, what is it that's the block? And so often we we think that we know ourselves, but we're trapped in the same stories and beliefs over and over. Like you can't see what it is that's holding you back. And so Truly, a life coach is a mirror. A life coach is a mirror that's with you through whatever it is that you're in that believes in your ability to achieve something greater for yourself and helps you go through the process of figuring out what is that greater that I want and what is it, not how do I get there, but what is it that stopped me so far? Because you're totally capable and able and yet you, even though you think you want to write this book, you can't seem to write the book. What is it that's standing in the way of writing the book or starting the thing or doing the thing? Because it's within your wheelhouse. It's within your grasp. Let's go there together. So yeah, a life coach helps helps create possibility. And it's, it's super fun. Like working with people, I've been able to see shifts happen so quickly and so powerfully. And then there's, you know, like a lot of times there's more layers and more levels but it's great. And the people that tend to find me are people who are interested in career and purpose and meaning. And I'm like, that's great. Let's talk about it. Let's go there. And so that's what I want to do. What is the methodology? Are these in-person interviews, Zoom? How do you yeah, engage with uh, people? I typically just do phone. I like phone the best. So it can be in-person. It can be Zoom. I think a good old-fashioned phone call is really nice. And so sessions are typically an hour long. And it starts by getting a sense of what the person wants in a big way for their life, really digging into what's important to you. And then each session starts with a coaching request. What is it that we want to look at today and sitting? And typically my role is to ask questions that, that get you to think about things in a slightly different way than you've thought about them before. But it's, I'm not leading. I don't have an agenda. The assumption is that you, the client, are whole and complete and fully capable of achieving the things that you want to achieve. And so how do I help you excavate to, to bring that to life? Interesting. How long does it usually take? I mean, it totally depends. Totally depends on the person and, and what it is that they want and how far off that thing is from what they're currently living. But yeah, I mean, just like any project, it could happen quickly. It, it could happen with time because it takes a lot of involvement. Okay. Yeah. Who's like the right person to work with you? Oh, that's so great. Um, my The people who I've really worked with the most are women 
in their late 20s, early 30s who have the sense of I've done everything right and I'm so unfulfilled. Like I got the good grades. I went to the good school. I did the things and I'm super lonely, bored, unhappy, whatever. What is it? What is life supposed to be about that's more than this? Because there's got to be more to life than this. And yeah, I love those conversations. You mentioned you've had some like great breakthroughs. I don't know if you have anything handy or that you can share in an anonymous way or if you could generalize it, but can you describe something where a person was transformed pretty quickly and they took action and like, here's where they were and here's the result now? Man, so one of the girls that I'm working with, it, it was absolutely incredible. So in in our first conversation, as I'm asking her about what she wants, she's really feeding me a lot of information about how she wants to figure out how to get more money from the government. <laughs> I was like, uh, and I'm like scrolling through my mental files. I'm like, I, there's no right or wrong, but I just, I can't believe that this is really what you want for yourself is to like stay home smoking weed and like getting more food stamps. Like I just, this cannot be what you actually want, but it had been the life that she'd been living for a long time and just kind of like numbing the pain. And I, I'm, I'm really just doing my best to be present with her and, and stay out of a place of judgment. And she dropped a line. She was like, well, I mean, that's what I would want if I couldn't get like an actual career, like a, an actual career that I really wanted. And I was like, an actual career that you really wanted? Turns out that she, she went to school and she had a degree in data science. But when she graduated college, she couldn't get a job in her major. And so it formed the story in her mind that she wasn't good enough for what she wanted to do. So she really wants to work like in the math and science field and be present and code and run numbers and like do cool shit. But she has a story that she can't, that no one will hire her for it. And so she just gave up on trying. Like it is so far from her realm of possibility to do the thing that she actually wants to do that she's just buried it under a lot of pain and self-doubt. And so it, I mean, it was phenomenal. As soon as, as soon as we started to explore that possibility, there's a lot of emotion that comes up around, I can't. So then we look at the emotions of, of what would feel different and what would a world look like where you can. And she's in the process right now of interviewing for jobs that she's really, truly excited about. And it's so cool. Like her life will forever be different because she was willing to admit to herself, I actually want this thing that she has just completely denied for, I mean, close to a decade. And like that to me is so cool. That That is the kind of shift that I like to make and see. And yeah. So it sounds like you're really excited about it. You're helping people. <laughs> <laughs> you're a little excited about I'm, it. I'm excited. What challenges do you foresee like in the next year as you're trying to work on this on the side. I would say that for the next year, the goal is just to get really good at doing this, just to get really good at helping people make shifts in their life, to help people be intentional, just to to declare for themselves whatever they want. And then after that year is up, I want to launch and I want to start a business and find a way of helping many people at the same time. So right now it's really time constrained. Like each person I meet with takes an hour of time once a week. And that that just isn't sustainable for the model that, that I envision. Like I really want to work with many people in a big way. So is, is there a way that you could scale it up with maybe I hate the word course, but maybe that is the answer, a course or a book where you give people limited time every week, maybe even in a group session, but maybe not because that's too impersonal. I don't know. How would you scale up yeah, your business? That's, that's exactly a course, okay. a book. I want to do lectures like, I, I kind of, I look at Tony Robbins and I'm like, I want to do that. Like, I really want to work with people in a big way. But you, the first step is getting good at what I do. Yeah. You have to do economy. Like, totally. <laughs> I'm going to send Diana an email today. Thank you. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> All right. We got bonus questions. What are some of the biggest challenges or surprises you've encountered while uh, you are continuing to work when you thought maybe yeah. things were going to shift. The biggest surprise is how much fun I'm having. Like, absolutely. It's, we all got gel blasters for Christmas. Do you guys know what gel blasters are? Nope. Like, so there's these little guns, like imagine a paintball gun, but not, 
destructive. It, it has these little gel pellets and they're so tiny. You get this teeny little packet of gel pellets and it fills up a gigantic container when you put them in water. And we all had gel pellets and we just ran around blasting each other all the time. Like, I mean, it it almost feels like when you see firefighters in a TV show and they're like just goofing off and like playing games. That's my life. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I don't want to get one of those. I'll shoot you in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> it, it would be very painful at close range. <laughs> we'll have to look those up. Yeah, it sounds impressive. Uh, sure. What would you tell your younger self about the pursuit of financial independence? That one might not be so oh, applicable. No, do but, it. Jump it. But yeah, financial independence and more importantly, maybe finding purpose. Yeah. Oh, did you just throw that one in? Finding purpose? No, it's it, actually there. It's actually here. Doug wrote it or ChatGPT wrote it. <laughs> I think that what I would tell my younger self, I know that what I would tell my younger self is take the steps that you need to take for security in the future, but don't put off being happy now. And when I look at my path, that's the one thing that I would change is is so often I would make choices that didn't feel super great or or have that mentality of like, I'm fighting to get to where I need to go. Like, you don't have to fight. You can enjoy it now. You're still going to get there. Like, you don't have to wait to be happy. Do the small course corrections. Bring in the things. Like, even with real estate, I bought three houses that I don't love because it was what I could afford. And I feel like if I had just figured out how to buy something I really liked, even though it was a little bit outside of my price range, now I'd have a house in Austin that I really love. And right now I have three houses that I'm like, mm, I'll let other people live here, you know? <laughs> mm. What message do you hope to send listeners by sharing your story? Oh, what a great question. I mean, you're crafting your life. And every moment, you are making the decision of what your reality is and will be. And so whatever belief you have about something outside of you, determining your future or giving you permission to do the thing that you want, like, it's on you for good and for bad. There's definitely elements of luck and chance and things happen that we can't control. But ultimately, like, it's on you to figure out what you want, to be really clear about it, and to make it happen. Great answer. So as we wrap up here, where should people find you? Oh, that's so great. I'm working on making a landing page right now, which is kimehart.com. So simple, except my last name, my last name is spelled really goofy. E-H-A-R-D-T. We'll link up so it'll be easy for people to get to it. And yeah, they could go check it out and see what's going on with you. So thanks a lot. It was a really fun interview. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host. And Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show, we really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person, so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. What was the impetus for you guys to start? Like, what is the drive behind all this? I have no clue. Doug, why did we start doing this? <laughs> we we had a fun time recording a couple episodes where I interviewed Carl for my show. And then we thought, hey, we should start a show together. So now we could have our, our own discussions and then interview people that we want to learn more from.
And then it's been pretty fun overall. Yeah, I think so. And I think the ultimate goal was kind of to have fun and then secondarily cover the cost, which we're trying to figure out how to do that. Okay. It's been challenging. Yeah. Does it continue to be fun? Because there's, there's a lot of commitment in this, right? There's a lot of commitment in the space. There's a lot of commitment in your time. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could do for fun that are easier and less involved. Why this? Oof, Doug put me on the spot. (laughs) One thing, we've treated it as a side project for both of us. So, like, Carl, he barely even shows up, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel honored to be one of the... yeah. Yeah. So, it's been fun because we haven't treated it too seriously. And then... At one point, we were doing two shows per week, and that was too much. So we were like, how do we reduce that? And we weren't earning money, so we weren't losing anything by cutting an episode. So, yeah, we've adjusted as time has gone on. So, And then, like, he's leaning on his strengths, and then I do mine, and there's kind of a clear separation. So that makes it a little bit better, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think you didn't answer the question, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think now that I bought you time? What was the question? <laughs> like, what is what is the primary motivator behind all of this, behind the work and the commitment? Ooh, is, I, yeah. I think there's a couple things. I've never been a great speaker in my life. Like as a kid, I had speech impediments. I couldn't talk. And even as an adult, I tend to talk too fast and mumble my words. So doing this causes me to focus on my speech. I had a blog for a long time before this, and I saw this as kind of the evolution of a blog, just a new challenge to try. I think it's pretty neat. Doug and I meet a lot of interesting people through this, and maybe that's the coolest thing about it. Like we're going to economy again, and a lot of people already know who we are, so it makes the conversations a little easier. And I don't know. I feel like we have friends all over the all over the world. See that speech thing. Whenever we travel, we usually travel around people, and we're not we're not going to see a place. We're going to see friends, and then we enjoy the place around the friends. But the place isn't the primary purpose. So speech and community for me. And then we need to hear you talk for the sound check. Have you thought about starting a podcast or anything like that? I would love to. Yeah. So when Paula had me on her show, I really enjoyed it. And she kind of planted the seed of starting something like this. And I think that I need more focus on on what I would want to speak on or interview on consistently every week like that. It is. It's really a big commitment. As you guys know, three and a half years of doing a podcast is no small task and there's no, there's no end in sight. So really getting clear on what it is that I would want to speak on or contribute to. Yeah. But I think this is fun. So the one, one tip that I would give you. Yes, please. Is, and I, and I have a lot of tips, but, <laughs> but the, the one, cause based on what you just said, you're like, I need to figure it out beforehand whatever you think it's going to be different. So like plan it, but it's just going to change as you get going. So you may as well make it kind of loose. There's a lot of different show formats you could do and you should probably like test and experiment with different formats and change it up. Otherwise you will get bored. So we've changed formats and like the length of the shows and different things like that and done live things. So that's been helpful. So it's not like, all right, I have to do another solo show and come up with, an essay that has a storyline and all that stuff. Like sometimes you just want to phone it in and interview somebody, something like that. So whatever you think your plan is, it's wrong. Yeah. I also like (laughs) that you guys have a partnership doing it together. Seems so much more fun than doing it alone. Yeah. Life in general. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. 